when you get back to your office and your boss asks why you're not pushing out so much content anymore, you can have him or her give me a call and say, I gave you permission. We're going to focus on less but better. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. To sign up for the upcoming Flip My Funnel conference this August in Boston, visit flipmyfunnel.com and use promo code PODCAST for special pricing. This podcast is supported by LinkedIn, Marketo, Terminus, PFL, and BrightFunnel, titanium sponsors of the Flip My Funnel community. So very, very, very little about us. I work at Acton Software. We have a marketing automation platform. Troy over here has a marketing agency. It says VP of marketing on his, on his tag, but he's actually the founder. So yeah, great demand gen agency. He's a customer of ours, so he's going to share some examples of some programs he's run, and I'm going to walk you through a quick framework. Before we do that, I'm just curious, in the room, how many people have been doing ABM for a year or more? Anybody two years? You got any lifers in here? Anybody start doing in the womb? Anything like that? Okay. All right. Okay, Troy, what was your... You remember your first ABM campaign? Yeah, it was actually in 2007, which it didn't have an acronym at that point. And it was when we started the organization and I didn't have any customers. And so the first thing I did was I went out and profiled other organizations like ours around the US and said, okay, what's their customers and what do they look like as their ideal customers? Came up with the criteria and formed 213 accounts. And my MarTech stack at that time was an Excel spreadsheet. Outlook, my channels were email and face-to-face. I would take my spreadsheet to meetings and ask people, do you know anybody in marketing at these companies? Because I think we got something that would be beneficial for them. And they would make introductions. And that's how my ABM campaign started. Two channels and 213 accounts. And the rest is history. So the first time I did it was maybe 2009 or something, and I just kind of stumbled into it. And you can't even really call it account-based marketing because it was actually for sales. So we had some sales folks that said, hey, we got these target accounts. Can you help us? And we whittled it down and, you know, created some scripts, got them an offer and started testing and started calling into key accounts. So before there was account-based marketing and marketing wasn't even involved or interested, we were just working right with sales going after target accounts. So a little background there. Uh, so we get this question a lot, and it's asked in different ways. Usually we figure out some way through a conversation where somebody's basically asking, do you have a silver bullet? And um, the answer is yes. You should give away a Tesla, you know, 100% response rate. And Maria, who's here from Aptis, is, a, is an awesome ABM marketer. And I was at the Serious Decisions event in Nashville earlier this year, and she was giving away a Tesla. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I'll never be able to do that. So what we want to do today is actually, you know, if you can do this, and she's proven that she knows what she's doing and she's got a high value product. So that's awesome that she gets to do that. But for the rest of us, right, let's figure out something we can do that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, that we can scale, those types of things. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So first, top challenge for content in general is just producing engaging content. You know, everyone's probably familiar with some of this, measuring the ROI, consistently producing content, those types of things. So we started first with kind of, all right, what? What are we looking at trend-wise? And then what we talk about often is the execution treadmill. So I've gone from being in-house to an agency and back, and 
when you're on the agency side, which I'm not now, I'm at, I'm at Acton, I think one of the nice things is you have time to kind of pause and think and work on stuff. And when you're in-house, you're often just meeting to meeting, kind of trying to get the next thing out the door, just cranking stuff out. Um, and so we used to, you know, we used to always say that, um, you know, the execution treadmill uh, was not, not where you wanted to be, but um, this is the content farm. So, you know, for those who are out there producing a lot of content, so instead of the, the execution treadmill, the content farm, my newest one is if you're on fire, meaning you're, you know, you're producing a ton of content, you need to actually do something about it. I'd like to <laughs> stop, drop and roll, right? So what we want to help you do is slow down and say, let's not worry about pumping out so much content, especially in ABM, right? I mean, this is about everyone's talking about personalization and how do you do all this stuff? So we're going to get into that. But when you get back to your office and your boss asks why you're not pushing out so much content anymore, you can have him or her give me a call and say, I gave you permission. We're going to focus on less but better, right? So let's get really high value content that we can produce that people want. So kind of some key things, entertains, challenges, and comes from genuine expertise. You know, folks have probably heard a lot of this. Relevant, personalized, again, big trend. You walk around here, you look at the booths, everyone's talking about personalization, all those things. But as Forrester said in their Q4 2016 ABM vendor landscape, producing personalized content at scale is, is still one of the biggest challenges. And when you look at a lot of the vendors that we have here and folks talking about ABM, no one's really talking about content. How do you do personalized content at scale? So when Troy and I were talking, we were like, hey, let's take that on. And so we started looking at some of the programs we've done and said, let's, let's try to, let's try to uh, help some folks out and figure out a way that they can replicate what we've already seen work. So if anyone's done pragmatic marketing before, they say market problems, everyone, you know, kind of says it different ways, but it really is true. You got to start with the, the market problems themselves, the, the pain and aspiration that your buyers have. And it's not going to happen inside your office. You're going to have to get out and, and talk with folks, talk to customers, talk to, you know, do close one loss uh, conversations, all those things, and, and uncover what people's real problems are. And then obviously map it to how can we uniquely solve those things? So from problem to problem-oriented feature, one-to-one -one relationship. And then in the past, what has gotten folks to decide, hey, the status quo is not good enough, I'm actually going to change, right? You know, there's only so many things we can manage on our list, and you have to kind of bust in there to the top seven or, or whatever they say in order to get their attention. So understanding what actually caused folks to buy. They'll, they'll ask a lot of questions in the buying process. If you talk to sales, they'll tell you it's one thing. You know, but if actually after they buy, you ask them, what was the thing that ultimately made you select us? What got you? And is there anything we could have done to make you buy faster? I heard a great story from a guy that said they started asking that question. Anything we could have done to get you to buy faster? And they said, just send me something in the mail. Get tons of emails. Nobody sends anything in the mail. So they start sending just simple postcards in the mail. And they start getting great response from it. Just asking that question and figuring out what actually gets people to motivate and to change. So where to look? Of course, third-party credibility is always great. I started with some market data at the beginning to kind of set up the problem. Here's the top content challenges. Here's what Forrester says is the biggest challenge in ABM, right? Same type of thing. So go out as you're looking for this information to find those problems. Grab some of that data, pull it aside so you can use it. Look at your data itself, including win-loss, which I think is one of the best places to find just what's happening in the market in general. Even competitor research, is, it's a great way to, to, to find out why is someone selecting you or someone else. It's, it's just one of the best sources. Case studies, hopefully you've got some good ones. And then have some conversations. Involve the front lines. Troy, you want to touch on that one? I know you had a program where you talked with some folks initially, but... 
Yeah, do it early and often and then ask again, um, especially the sales organization is they're the ones or customer service. We have some CSMs here today too. And ask them what the market wants and get that feedback early because then when your content that you build actually answers that, they're going to buy in and they're going to accept that program versus challenge it once it gets into market. So internal, external thought leaders and your customers, of course. So there's what I referenced before, right? Some people call it an outside-in approach. I don't know, there's a few different ways people mention it, but you know, get, get outside the building. You're not going to learn a lot inside the building, right? I think there's the neato analogy, like nothing important happens inside the office or whatever. So you've got to step outside and not just talk to the, the loud 20%, but talk to the quiet 80%. So by the way, this deck will, we have on the, on the very last slide, there's actually a link. You can go and download it right now. So for those scribbling any notes, have an opium. So next thing is you want to say, okay, now that we've uncovered some of these things, how do we figure out? a scale of some kind. So this is our template that we're gonna be using. And so this just happens to be an example from demand base and it's about ABM maturity. And yours doesn't have to be this complex or anything. You're actually gonna see a simpler version than this. But what you're doing is basically you're saying, okay, so how sophisticated are they at doing whatever we sell, right? How easy is it? How quickly? What's the quality? And then, you know, specific to your particular product or service, you wanna understand where are they on the maturity scale in these different categories. And again, we're gonna go into this a little bit further. But understanding where your targets are then allows you to be able to communicate with them in a way that resonates because you can kind of say, hey, we evaluated you in this way and here's where you have room for improvement kind of based on some of the the common market challenges that, you know, folks have and and why people buy. So when you get to the messaging side of things, uh, we're always looking for emotional drivers. You know, what's going to what's going to touch someone emotionally and make them want to respond. And you'll see in Troy's program. He got a 30% response rate on, on one of his programs, actually 29, but I think I put 30 on there anyway, just because I like to try to corner him and make him look like a liar. But, you know, drivers for folks is, um, you know, they want to stand out from the crowd. They want to succeed in life and in their careers, right? And they want to feel a sense of belonging. So they want to know how, how am I, where do I fit? How well am I doing against my competitors? How well am I doing against other people in my industry itself? So that's where this maturity scale comes in and you can rate them versus their segment. So let's say they're a finance company, right? How do they do against other finance companies? The highest in their segment. So how did you do against the folks that we saw that, you know, we're doing the best, showing what the best looks like in their industry and then competitors. That's a huge driver, right? Hey, would you like to see how you stack up against your competitors? Would you like to see what your competitors are doing really well? That one definitely gets you some, some responses. So yeah, so what I want to do today is share a couple of examples and leave me with the idea. So ABM content different from demand gen content. And the core, per, the core objective in ABM content, from the way that we take it, is that demand gen content says, I want to get hundreds of downloads from lots of you know, downloads. ABM, I want to get one meeting from one or more people at an account. And so when we take that mindset of the content that we're going to produce, it's all about how do we get the meeting. And so the first example I'm going to share with you started with a conversation that we were having with one of our customers. And it was a joint meeting between marketing and sales. And we we're talking about, okay, the demand gen content that we're producing just isn't delivering results that we want to see. Demand waterfall happening, 1% ended up into, into an actual sales opportunity. So we need to change that. And sales wanted to drive pipeline. Of course, that's how they get paid. So the conversation became, okay, we have some accounts. And there's 276 accounts that we want to go after. Marketing said, okay, but let's take those accounts and let's look at who is in need of this product. And the product that we're selling was a, an IVR. 
So those that aren't familiar with an IVR, interactive voice response, often pick up the phone, you call into any call center, and it's the thing that you interact with. The goal of the IVR is to get you to your answers as quickly as possible. How a company that has an IVR saves money is to make efficient routing and actually contain that call so that you're not going into pressing zero and talking to an agent because people, agents, times are expensive. And so the ultimate experience would be how to route people to the right way. And actually most people would appreciate not to talk to an agent and just get their answers quickly. So the question that we had was, okay, how can we help organizations understand the problem that they have with their IVR in order to get a conversation with sales? Ultimate goal. So we came up with this idea of a IVR assessment and a customized assessment. So what it, what it did, is, before I go into the presentation, just back up there, Bill, is Bill talked about response rate. It was actually appointment rate. So over a four-week campaign with multiple emails and air cover IP ads, we generated 12 appointments out of 42 different accounts. And these appointments were happening from folks actually replying back and saying, I'd love to meet with you. And we could see the chain of people responding internally in their organization saying, hey, I got this from so-and-so, and I think we need to meet. So sales, flabbergasted, this could actually happen. So what did the actual assessment include? That's what I want to give you guys today. And this is a template you can steal. It included four key things. First, Bill talked about market problems. So call it out. For them, it was the trends are changing where the IVR, first people, for any sort of issue they have, they go to the web. After that, they pick up their phone, and usually a mobile phone. And so it's got to be a great experience, and it's got to be experience that's quick. Share that data. Offer them a personalized assessment. We had 42 accounts. And so we wanted to share something that was not everybody could download, but one account would be interested in getting. And so I'll actually walk you through some of the, that data, but compare them to their segment and compare them to the best in class so that they understand where they are in the world and they can improve. Everybody wants to know, okay, what does good look like? You've told me where I'm at. Now, what does good look like? And so we actually went through an, an example of their customer that has done it right. And if you call their customer's IVR, plane flight customer, so Delta, <laughs> you call in to Delta, and if your plane's canceled, probably say, hi, Mr. O'Brien, are you calling because your flight was canceled today? I see that there's two other flights that you might be able to get on. Would you like to book it? This all happens through a dialogue without an agent. So we share those kinds of examples so they can say, ah, this is what it looks like. And then throughout, give sales questions to engage. What are they? The key ones that we found were, do you foresee your IVR or your X, whatever is you guys are selling, evolving over the next couple of years? Provocative, provocative question that gets a discussion. It's what sales wants to have. How does this assessment align with your view of X, your IVR? whatever your product is. And what initiatives, you know, thinking about what's next, always have a next step. What initiatives are you undertaking to drive improvements in your organization? For them, it was about customer service. What initiatives are you taking to drive customers? So how do you come up with this assessment? There's all the frameworks out there that, you know, Pace model, that Gartner has theirs, and, but we're all as marketers, we don't have all those scientists with us, and we need to come up with something. So what we did first is we went and talked to the experts. There's an internal or external expert out there about everything. So go have a conversation with them. Find out what are the key criteria that you're gonna evaluate everything by. You know, Bill shared it's ease, speed, sophistication, quality. Those are the core of any assessment. We took those based on the learnings that we had and came up with an IVR assessment and then put together the criteria so somebody can evaluate. Not an expert, 
somebody independent can evaluate it and say, this is actually, I'm going through the IVR as, as a customer, what's it like? So we made it up. There was no criteria before there. There wasn't a maturity model. We just made it up. And then we scored it. And we scored it from one to four on each one of these criteria. And again, simple person calling up the IVR and saying this was the experience you had, one to four. How did I feel? Four being high, one being low. And then aggregated those scores for everybody. So I'm sure there's somebody here that says, okay, a quant, it's like one to four, why are we scoring based on that? Didn't matter. We were defining something, again, making it up, and coming back with something objective for these accounts in a personalized way to say, here's an area that you could have improvement. What did the assessment look like? So this, this entire thing was a PowerPoint presentation that sales could give. It was 18 slides, they could give it in less than 30 minutes. But the core data that was in here was those independent assessments that were done. And it didn't take a long time to do these. Once the framework was built, this just keeps going. We did 10 accounts initially, and then did 50. And then that data can just keep adding in. So anytime that they have a new account that they want to add to their ABM program, they got a benchmark of data, they have the assessment, once the appointment is actually set, not prior, they'll do the assessment. And that's, how, that's where the personalization scale comes in, right? So he said we did 10 to start, but then after that, they actually were sending out emails saying, hey, would you like to see how you compare to your competitors? And they didn't, as soon as, you know, usually when you're going after VP, you know, decision makers in the C-level, whatever, you're not gonna get an appointment the same week, right? But this assessment, after they had the framework together, anyone could pick up the phone and call, follow the assessment, fill it out, plug in the data, and you'd have it ready. So they would actually book the appointments, then build the assessment for them. So, because it would only take 30 minutes or something. So that's where the scale comes in, right? Now you need about 10, so you can stress test it, make sure you've kind of got it right, work out the kinks, right? Get some data so you have some idea of like kind of what's happening out there in the industry, how are people rating, that type of thing. But then after that, you can be engaging accounts and waiting until they respond before you actually build their individual assessment. So this included summary on the, the far left here, their rating of their IVR, against the industry group that they were in, and then also against the highest rate of all IVRs that was evaluated, and then broke it down tactically, because it's nice to give a high-level number. Where do you rate against everybody else, you know, uh, in the curve of class, you know, am I an A, B, D student? But then, how did it break it down? And so, E, speed, again, speech recognition, all came. So this particular example was, you know, a large ticket sailor that's out there for events and concerts. And if you go through their IVR... Would you some, say they master ticket selling? Yeah, they okay. master ticket selling. Cool. They lack on ease and some of the conversational dialogue. One of the problems about ease is if you call into it and if you don't have they, an order or you have an order before, they start routing you to one other 800 numbers. But they don't actually route you to them, they give you the number. So if I'm calling in on my mobile phone and I'm driving and now I'm saying, okay, here's the 800 number, well, great. Now I gotta write this down, type it, it doesn't work. How many he's, times did you call back before you get it done? He's not very good. So the, the key here is high value perception. And that is what you want out of these assessments. So think about what goes into them. And actually, one of the accounts that came back in one of the assessment, their reply back to sales, the sales team, was, do I have to pay for this? We were like, hallelujah, we did it. That's what we wanted. Because it was so rich, the information, they wanted to get it. How do I get better in what I'm doing? And thought he had to pay for it. Of course, the answer was no. We'd like to schedule that time to share with you with your data. The other example I'm going to share with you today, because that may make seem too big. And so, as a, you know, I also serve as the VP of marketing at our organization. So we're always saying, okay, as any good marketer does, what's working out there? Let's copy it, steal it, whatever, and then apply it to ourselves and see if we get the same result. So last this last year, we were doing broad-based content, one to two blogs a week. We were reducing assets out there every month and things that we would download, but we had the same problem, 
was turning into anything that was qualified for sales. So we said, okay, what are we gonna do? We're gonna flip the funnel. Go back to how we started the organization with 217 to 213 accounts. Let's get our account list. So let's figure out who they were. We looked into our act on business and said, who do we know and what do they have? And so for us, technology became one of the key drivers. For our client, it was an IVR and that experience. For us, it was what technology they're using. Are they using act on? Are they using Marketo? Are they HubSpot? Let's know that going in so that we can guide that conversation. Who do we have to talk to? One of the things that the act on account dashboards gives us is the ability to say, for these accounts that we define in the segment, is how many contacts do we have there? And we can drill into them and say, what people do we have? Do we have a marketer? Or do we have just the VP of the company? So where can, where can we start our engagement? And then try to figure out what insights can we glean as far as to glean to say, okay, here's what we're going to actually put in to our assessment. We know we want to do assessment, but how do we understand what go after? And two of the highest downloaded or two of the highest viewed items on our website were about the size of the landing page, the optimal, and how to design a landing page for mobile. We're like, hmm, might be a trend here. So let's look across all these accounts and say what makes them similar. And so there was some research by Smart Insights that came out recently that said that 77% of folks that have a marketing automation tool are using landing pages. Okay, it's a good common thing, but only 26% of them rate themselves as highly effective at building their landing page. Okay, so now we got an unmet need. We've got a gap. There's a problem that we can solve. And so we came up with the idea of, hey, let's look at landing pages. Now, it doesn't sound that sexy. I realize it. But they are also the workhorse of the marketer. Because even when you're starting to think about ABM, if I get that one person to go to my landing page or my website, and they convert from that key account, I don't want to be subject to the typical 15% or 10 to 15% conversion rate that happens off of PPC. I want to convert 30, 40, maybe even 80% of the folks that hit that, web, that um, landing page. So we, the criteria that we came up with, something we evaluated was, let's look at the design. You know, how well is it? Look at the copy. Does it have a great headline that's compelling? Is it 15 words or less? You've know, got eight seconds before somebody bounces your page. Are they personalizing this? Okay, this is all about personalized experience. So were they using some sort of IP lookup and like that to say, this, this is how I treat versus somebody else? And were they testing? You, know, you can refresh the browser over and over again on an anonymous site to say this is what things, if they're testing or not. So we can provide this assessment back to them so they can get better. So again, small scale for us because um, we didn't want to you know, flood our sales team. So we started out with a handful of accounts, like Bill said, 10. We did assessments of their landing pages, gave us a benchmark, scored them against our criteria. And then we looked at um, specific context that we had within each one of those accounts and said, we're not going to send to any more than five ever. And I would advise you the same thing on your ABM programs is don't treat the ABM programs and campaigns that you do the same as the broad brush campaigns you're going after, because this has got to be special. This has got to be to get a meeting. So if they're all sitting in the same department and 10 people get the same email from you, they know it's not special. So invest that in time and, so, and so only select a couple. We only started with, with one contact per, per account. And, but we started watching the activity. You know, now, back then I had a Outlook and a, an Excel spreadsheet. Today, of course, I'm using ActOn. And so when activity happened, whether it was somebody actually clicked on the email, responded to the email, those all actually came back to the sales team, or somebody from those target accounts that we were going after went to our website, then we would alert sales. And when sales got alerted, they would actually look at what was activity was happening and they would go intercept to try to say, hmm, that 
conversation that I put out there, Proact, it um, prompted something to happen. Now they're investigating us and say, are we real? Who are we? Those kind of things. Sales would actually then engage on a personalized mechanism. Again, very custom back just to say, ah, saw you were looking at this kind of content. There's something to help you with. Or then start sharing some of the, the data that we have on them. Because now we would say, okay, we've done some assessments. Here's the good things that we have. And here's the things that we can start to share with them. Now, when you guys start thinking about scaling all this, this out more and more is, like Bill said, you don't have to do all the assessments up front, especially when you're sending out the initial communications. Get a benchmark together, and then when people ask, say, great, let's schedule a meeting. If you're working on VPs, directors, anybody up in the organization, you're not going to get a meeting tomorrow. If you do, great, you can scramble the night before. But don't worry about, okay, I can't do all this work. It's not, it's not a lot of work. In summary, you have permission to go back to your boss, whoever that is, your board, whatever and say, uh, I'm gonna focus on less but better. You're gonna do an outside-in approach and focus on market problems. You're gonna look for emotional drivers, things that, uh, that are gonna make people wanna take action uh, and understand where do I fit in the world? How do I compare against my competitors? How do I compare my industry? And you're gonna look to personalize when you can uh, after responses, as we just talked about, and then of course, everyone's favorite, iterate, measure, optimize. We all have the opportunity right now to kill the inbox. Average 121 emails a day that we get and actually sent. And so the challenge to everybody here is let's think about what we're sending. Let's think about the information that we're putting out there and that somebody has a high enough value that what they're getting, they would actually pay for. And so it's going to make all of our lives easier when we go to our inbox every day and we don't just opt out and abandon them and say, I'm not going to look anymore. Because as marketers that's going to, and salespeople, that's going to be a challenge for us all. Questions? You said that, that you found out what marketing and automation tools they had. How yeah. did you find that out? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to find that uh, information out. So built with, uh, date nines, similar tech, are all different tools that we've used. To use like a ghostery or something, yeah. so you can one by one go. And that's and that's on the mass scale. And then what yeah. Bill was talking about is um, uh, browser-based tools or like Chrome-based tools like um, Ghostery. And so it'll actually tell you all the scripts that are running on site. So when Sales would pull that up, they'd have Ghostry, they'd look, and then be like, ah, I can see the, all of the things that you're running today, outside of automation. Yeah, with, with Date Nights and some others, like I know we have it set up that if a new script starts running on their website, it automatically drops what the software is into our database for us. But yeah, before there was some of these more advanced tools now, which obviously there's a lot of vendors here talking about data and stuff too, so you can probably find some people that'll sell you some data. But yeah, before that, we would, we would use stuff like we would find sources like a similar tech or built with. And that's kind of a classic one. I mean, as an example, as soon as I get on the phone with um, a telecommunications person, especially like in sales, right? I, when, when, when I was doing consulting, I'd always be like, okay, so let me guess. If, if you know what phone system they have and how old it is, like, would you know what their problems are? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. They got a phone system from five years ago. They don't have video conferencing. They don't have this, they don't have this right? So finding out that some of those key technologies is, is a great one for just saying, okay, now that we know what, what they have, we know something about them. Then we can then say, all right, marketing and sales, let's all align our messaging around questions and you know, helping them address the challenges we know that they have. Um, apologies if you send us any information. So the assessment tool sounds like a great piece of content. How are you getting it in front of the people again? Or how are you getting them to respond? You're sending it via email or direct mail or what's that? Yeah, the, the two primary channels that we've been using for today, well, actually three, but is email is the primary driver. We've then then run some air cover IP ads to those accounts and those specific people. And then um, also the SDRs can use it as well as an outreach. 
but the email has been the primary driver of it. Is that coming from an SDR or from marketing? Yeah. So always personalized email coming from somebody. It's these are short emails that they are. You know, I mean, I can, you know, hi first name. Recently, we had um, a call center expert evaluate your IVR against your industry group and your peers. Would you like to see the result? I mean, that's simple. I mean, various of, of those, and then testing uh, different subject lines and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. dropping little snippets in there, right? You can take yeah. a, like a one little picture, of one graph, right, and be like. You know, we know a lot of people's images don't necessarily load right away, right? So, you know, but you can be like, hey, see how, you know, you compare to competitors, put like one little portion of it in there, don't give the ranch away, right? But something to just intrigue them and want, want to look a little bit further. But. And that usually happens on, se- on subsequent emails. The first one's very brief. I mean, as an organization, I, you know, every time I see something come out from our organization, because we build a lot of content and it's for the companies that we work with and do a lot of emails is, I never want to see a subject line over 50 characters, and I never want to see an email. Two years ago, I said over uh, 150 words. Now I'm down to 100. You can thank t- Twitter and our attention spans and Netflix for binging. I mean, we, we want something now, we want it short, and then if we want something, we want more of it at that point in time. And they don't have to be complicated, right? I mean, I don't know if anyone's tested text-based emails versus HTML, but I mean, you know, you hit the inbox more often, you get quick responses. Um, you know, so we looked at programs where side by side and you know we're getting way higher response rates out of text-based emails thank you all appreciate your guys coming today yeah, thank you hope you guys got some takeaways that was the goal you've been listening to the flip my funnel podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player if you have an iphone we'd love for you to open the apple Podcasts app and leave a review thank you so much for listening Until next time.